0: Well, if you have your Bibles, we're kind of walking through the Gospel of Mark together. Last week, we talked about the introduction and how Mark devotes over six chapters to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And uh, then we introduced a character named John the Baptist. One I'm skipping over is Jesus' baptism, subsequently his uh, wilderness temptation period. And we're picking up with where he calls his first disciples. And I've entitled the sermon... This is us. This is us, and you will know why in a moment. But if you if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm beginning in verse 16. And uh, Mark gives us one of those beautiful snapshots of the life and the ministry of Jesus. This is this is one of those. If you can just imagine this in your mind's eye, beginning in verse 16, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now try to imagine this amazing scene in your mind's eye this morning. I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time around Table Rock Lake as a kid, and there's something very therapeutic about the way the sun and the light bounces off of the waves and the ripples and makes a million little diamonds. It's just therapeutic, isn't it? And I can somewhat imagine Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, He has just been baptized. He has just experienced those 40 days of temptation and trial in the wilderness. And he walks the 80 miles from the Jordan River in southern Israel all the way to the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along this sea. The the waves are gently lapping up against the shore. And he comes upon two fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Andrew. And he says to them, come and follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And they laid their nets down and they walked away from their profession, the only thing they had ever done to make a living, and they followed this one, this Messiah, this one named Jesus. Not knowing what the future would hold, but having a sense of excited expectation about him because he just seemed different. He had a, an authority. He commanded a respect that they had never seen in another, in another man before. He was different. He was special. And something drew them to him. Then he goes a little further down the shore, and there's James and there's John, and he calls them. And they not only leave their nets, but they leave their father. They leave their family. And they go to follow this Jesus for the next three years and ultimately for the rest of their lives until they step into heaven. Now, think about that. They received a call, and they accepted that call. You see, we're, we're seeing that... Our lives and their lives intersect. This is us. Some of you remember that show that was on, may still be on. I don't watch it now, but when it first came out, I watched the show This is Us. And remember it begins with the most defining event of the family's life, the death of the father and and the dad, the father and the husband. But from there on, it moves forward with their lives and what transpires after his Tragic death, but it also flashes back, and many episodes are dedicated to well, how this dad interacted with his children and his wife. What a good father, what a good husband, and how his imprint, how his influence upon their lives made them the people they eventually became. And that's what I see Mark doing here a little bit. Though he devotes six chapters to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that most defining event of our Christian faith, he flashes back here to show us how it all began, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But it's more than a this is us moment for that. It's another reason because the call to be a believer and follow Jesus isn't just for those first disciples. It is also our call. This is us. The call that Andrew and Peter and James and John received is exactly the call that you receive to follow Jesus. Now, we know ultimately they went on to be apostles. But at this point, that call is the exact same call that you at a point in your life received through the Holy Spirit to come and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is right to point out that these original disciples weren't considered the apostles until much later, Matthew 10, in fact, where Jesus commissions them, sends them out two by two to heal every manner of disease, to to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, right? It's not until then that they are formally called and considered a group known as the Twelve Apostles. At this point, their call Is our call. Every believer is called to be a disciple. The idea that some people accept Jesus and they're just kind of run of the mill believers, and then there are some people who have a special call and they become these kind of super Christian disciples, that's not found anywhere in the Bible. That is not biblical. The word believer and disciple is used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. If you have received a call to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, if you've received that, if you've accepted that, If you've given your life to Him in faith, trusting in Him and what He did for you on the cross, you are a disciple. This is us. You have the same exact call as those first initial disciples. The New Testament uses another word for those of us who are disciples many times over. It is being called of God. I got a concordance out. And I looked up all the times that believers, disciples, are considered being called or the called of God. I quit counting at around 35 references. Let me just share a few of the highlights with you. Romans 1, 6, and 7. And Paul says this there. He says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Okay? We have a calling. Romans 8:28, and we know that God calls us all things to work together for those who love God to those who are called according to His purposes. You are called as a believer. Second Peter 1:10: "Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. There is that sense of calling. So, this is us. Their call is our call. Whether you are Peter, Andrew, or Paul, or Billy Graham, the initial call that you get is the call to trust on and believe in Jesus and to follow him every day of your life as long as he gives you life and breath. This is us. You are a disciple. You are a disciple. Secondly, the Lord's calling of these first disciples demonstrates that missions and evangelism are at the core of being a disciple. We don't need to have arguments about whether evangelism or discipleship is more important as though those are two separate categories of ministry within the church. They are one and the same. If you are making disciples, you are evangelizing. Jesus didn't say, come, follow me, and I will make you moral men and women. But he will. But that's not what he said. Jesus did not say, come, and I will make you agents of cultural and societal change, which he will. But that's not what he said. He said, come, follow me to these first disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' primary goal in us following Him is to learn from Him how to fish for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Once having come to know the Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to become more and more like Him in our every thought, behavior, and attitude. But while we're doing that, to be fishers of men, women, boys, and girls. Daryl Robinson wrote a book a while back called People Sharing Jesus. And he cleverly points out that when Jesus calls those disciples, which is our call to come follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. Inherent within the call to be a disciple is the call to be a fisher of the, of the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. And so he says, and he deduces from that, if you're not fishing, you're not following. Amen? We are to be fishers of men, women, boys, And girls, we are to be seeking folks who don't know him, being uh, intentional about developing relationships uh, with those around us, wondering, do they know the Lord? If you ask and they are, you've gained a brother. If you ask and they're not, you have a mission. Daryl Robinson goes on to say, there's no wrong person to share the gospel with. See, churches today that are effective at making disciples, they have a process. They have, they have devoted their church to what Jesus said, you shall go into all the world and you'll make disciples, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Matthew 28 makes it very clear. Jesus defines our mission. At the very beginning of his ministry, he defines the mission as being fishers of men, women, boys, and girls, being the fishers of men. At the very end of his ministry, just before he ascends back to the Father, he says, you know, go therefore and make disciples in every nation, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, in doing that task, making disciples the churches as I travel around that I see that are growing healthy and effective are the ones who have committed, first of all, primarily to making disciples. Now, churches do a lot of good things, but sometimes we can do everything but make disciples. I'm not saying what you do or don't have here because I'm not familiar enough yet with the ministries you've had, but let me just share with you that churches that today that I see that are growing have a, a very intentional, dedicated process of making disciples. From the minute a person walks in the door, they're introduced to the church, they become a member, they are being funneled into this, this very biblical process of becoming like Christ, of choosing to be a disciple, and then growing in that discipleship. And they have very visual ways of... You know, maybe they've got posters around the church that people know, hey, there is a model of where I'm supposed to be going. Here's the expectation level. There is a high expectation level within that church. We expect everyone to continually be growing. You know, no one gets to just, you know, sit and soak. Everyone is to be becoming a fully dedicated disciple who makes other disciples. And you're not done until you're reproducing yourself. So I I put a few models. Uh, The Southern Baptist model is uh, this one here. You'll see this, connect, grow, serve, and go. And this is one that a lot of churches are using effectively, and people understand what each of those mean. Connect, if you're not a member of a church, you need to become one, because if you're a believer, you already are a member of the body of Christ, and not a member like in, you know, membership has its privileges, and you join the club, but member in the sense that you are a spiritual literal part of the body of Christ on earth, and you need to acknowledge what is already true spiritually and join a local body and be a part of that local body. Then you've got to be growing. You're learning the, you're learning the disciplines of Bible study and prayer and sharing your faith, defending the faith, apologetics, knowledge of the Bible, etc., and then serving. You're all given spiritual gifts, and you have the fruit of the Spirit. How are you going to be using those to bring honor to Christ, and then going. At some point, you've got to be multiplying and reproducing your faith in other people. Go to the next one. This is the one, and not everybody's a fan of Andy Stanley. He gets misquoted a lot. I don't approve of everything he does, but he does a few things right. This is his model. <clears throat> You're either on the front porch in the, in the living room or in the kitchen. And they, every member knows what that means. If you're on the front porch, it means you're attending, but you're not really connected, uh, you know, vitally to the church. You need to join. You need to get involved in the ministries of the church, get into the discipleship process we have. When you do that, you're in the living room. You're in the living room with, with the other members. You're, you're learning. You're growing. And eventually, when you get to the kitchen, then you're serving others. That's theirs. It's a little simpler. Go on to the next one. This is Rick Warren's out in Saddleback Valley Community Church. They've used this for years effectively to help people know where they are. The big thing about having a visual imagery up is people can always self-assess, right? They can always walk in and look at that and say, I am right there, and I need to get to, you know, I may be on second base and need to get to third this year. Number one, committed membership. Number two, committed to maturity. Number three, committed to ministry. And four, committed to missions. And those all have very similar meanings to the ones I defined earlier. But a church definitely needs a process. This needs to be a priority. I mean, if if it comes down to it, this has to come first, because we were commanded first to make disciples, even before we have men's ministry or women's ministry or youth group or anything else. And I, I want to just say something, a statistic that has come to our attention. John Mark's probably shared it before, that, that kind of is startling, but... I don't think a church should push forward without a firm grasp of this, and that is that—that that is that statistic that if you reach the child first, whether it be through Awana, Upward Basketball, VBS, whatever, there's a four percent chance that you will reach the entire family. Okay, now I'm not saying don't do children's ministry. I'm not. That is a sewing ministry. That's an important development ministry that, that puts you in touch with a lot of unchurched parents. I'm, saying, I'm not saying do, don't do that. I'm, I'm just sharing with you some statistics. If you reach the child first, there's about a 4% chance you'll get the whole family. If you reach mom first, there's about a 17% chance you'll get the rest of the family. I'm not saying don't do women's ministry. If you reach dad first there's about a 94% chance you'll get the whole family. So take that for what it is. I'm not saying ignore women and children. I'm just saying a church better have a deliberate, intentional discipleship plan that reaches out to young, young dads and men because as they reach the men, they're going to reach the whole family. That's really how Paradise Outfitters got started in Oak Grove. You've heard of that church? Brandon Smith came up from Republic. He was just a country boy. He started leading fishing tournaments and having bow and arrow arrow shooting contests and so forth. Guys began to come. He began to hold a Bible study. The Bible study grew, outgrew where they were. They moved again. And finally, the dad started saying, well, you know, my my wife and kids want to come. And today, they're probably running about 500 in two services in Oak Grove. The call to be a disciple is is the call to disciple and to do evangelism. And finally from Jesus calling of the original disciples we learn that he calls people to follow him in the midst of their everyday lives and that call must take precedence. It must have absolute your absolute loyalty and allegiance over any other priority or thing in your life. This is a radical calling if you will. The first disciples that Jesus called were not in a church or a synagogue when he called them. They were not in a revival meeting. They were not in a seminary class. A couple of them were fishing. One was in the, one was in the uh, IRS office, right? One was under a tree, and Jesus looked from a distance and said, Nathaniel, there's one in whom there is no guile, He called him to be a disciple. Jesus called those original 12 from every walk of life, proud, humble, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. He didn't send out the talent scout to get the dream team, did he? That's what we do in the Olympics because we want to win. Jesus just went out and called some normal, everyday people like you and I because he saw within us what we could be when He's in control, when He's living His life through us by the Holy Spirit. And that's who we are, just everyday people. And I've said this before, and and I'll probably say it again, but it's true that when you come to Christ, you must believe in Him. But once He saves you, and He places His Holy Spirit in you, and He vests Himself in you, and gives you the gifts of the Spirit, not only do you believe in Him, but He believes in you. He believes in you. Not that He needs to believe in you for anything, but He believes in you because He knows what He can do in and through you by His Holy Spirit. What an an honor that the Lord God of all the universe comes alongside us, calls us into relationship to Himself, and then as we come together as a church, entrusts the sacred ministry of preaching and teaching the gospel to the whole world. Have you ever thought about what an honor that is? And Paul will come along in 2 Corinthians 4 and say that, you know, we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen, broken, cracked vessels. We're all flawed beings, but the Lord God still decides to, to minister the gospel to the world, to call us into this great commission. It's a commission alongside him as we reach the world and we disciple the world for Jesus Christ. David Platt wrote a book a while back called Radical. Anybody read it? In it, he shows how Jesus must take priority above every ambition and allegiance in our lives, and then he laments that it's sad that we've come to the point in American Christianity where we have to call it radical when believers understand their role is to become a disciple, a follower, a fully committed follower of the Lord Jesus, reproducing their lives in other people. That shouldn't be radical when, according to the Bible, that should be the norm for every believer. But Jesus expresses this extreme ultimate call in several ways throughout the gospel. For instance, he says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. Seek first his kingdom. That ought to be the top priority in our lives. Following him, he says, "He who, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is not worthy of the kingdom of God." And there are so many other ways that he expresses the radical nature of this call for us to follow him. Listen, friend, if Jesus has called you to believer, he has also called you to be a disciple. And you know, in Jesus' day when you were a, a young boy and you had your bar mitzvah and it was time for you to be a man, do you know what you did as a family? Your mom and dad and you would go and you would study all the different rabbis and you would decide which one you liked their ministry and their teaching. Were they of the school of Hillel or Shemai or you know, who are we and, and, and what do I want my son to learn and so forth. And you would actually kind of shop around and you would pick your rabbi and that rab, rabbi would agree to take you after you chose him. It's a little different with Jesus. He chooses us first. That's why in John's gospel, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and ordained that you should bear much fruit. He's thinking about that practice of those Jewish families going and choosing their rabbi. I'm telling you, Jesus, the Lord of all creation, has chosen you. And it's simply for you to accept that call by faith, and to begin to follow. I think that's why it's so important that we're here today. I know there are churches that have dismissed, and I, I affirm their decision to do that, but I believe that what we do, week in and week out, and then through the week between Sundays, is of eternal consequence and importance. We have a mission, and we're to be fulfilling it. And each of us in this room, to the degree that we corporately are committed to that ministry of making disciples, this church will, they will evangelize. They will be fishers of men, women, and boys and girls. And you will grow, and you will see this movement begin to take place from from right here. Westside Family Church has been doing this. They've planted over 19 churches in the Kansas City area just by taking this call serious to make disciples. And not only have they planted these churches, they're not just tied to Westside Family. They have become their own independent church planting movements, like KC Underground, who has what's called Disciples Made. And they are winning people to Christ from house to house and neighborhood to neighborhood. And the focus is not really on the building per se, the focus is on the church gathered upon people growing in, in, in Christ likeness. I was at a conference at NAM and I'm going to close with this. But Walker Armstrong is a director of missions from North Carolina. He made an excellent point. You can think about it, you can chew on it. You don't have to agree with it. But I but I think it's something worthy for us to think of. it. he said in Western Christianity, we have prioritized three doctrines in this order Christology, ecclesiology, and missiology. Christology, who is Christ, what is salvation? And that should be first, because if you don't know who Christ is, you don't know what salvation is, anything's possible, right? We could be any kind of cult on the earth. We have to know who we are in Christ. Then he says, but in in the Western church, historically, we have focused next on ecclesiology, the church, the role of the church, people's connection to and involvement in the church. And lastly, missiology, what are we supposed to do as a church? where are we going? Who are we reaching? What's our mission? He says, as we go along and we, we, we study the Bible over and over, we realize that in the Bible, Christology became, came first. Secondly, the mission came, and then the church in that order. And maybe we need to revisit this order of our theology. Because he said, instead of a church having a mission we may need to have a mission that has a church. I think he has a point. The mission is first, making disciples. Then the church becomes a reality as we make those disciples, and it is third. We don't want just a church that has a mission. We want a mission that forms and has a church. Folks, where are you? If I were to put up... The drawing, either one, Andy Stanley's, SBC, Rick Warren, Saddleback Valley, first base, third base, first base, second base, third base, home plate. Could you self-assess where are you on that, on that ball diamond? Are you on the front porch in the living room? Are you in the kitchen? You see, I think we've got to create a DNA, an expectation level and accountability among ourselves as churches and as believers where we hold ourselves, we hold one another accountable that first and foremost, we know who Christ is, but we are making disciples and we're on mission doing that. You won't have to worry about the church if you do that.